You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am comedy stunt performer Matt Baker. And I am comedy magician Louis Fox. We are both performers at the Moisture Festival. The Moisture Festival, if you're unfamiliar, is a four-week festival celebrating variety arts in the Fremont neighborhood of Seattle. It is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. If you're listening to this during the festival, be sure to buy your tickets now, because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. Today's Moisture Festival podcast, we are joined in Berkeley, California by Robert Strong, a comedian, magician, overall amazing and awesome dude. Yeah, we talk about how he moved from the East Coast to San Francisco, his run-ins with Gary Shandling and Robin Williams, and we'll talk a little bit about his comedy talks as well. Yes, absolutely. It's great to have him in studio. We've known him for a long time and we get to hear some amazing stories from 35 years of performing in the business. Let's get to Robert Strong. guest has twice been voted San Francisco's best comedian and three times voted San Francisco's best magician. He has performed in over 40 countries in all 50 states on every major TV network and twice at the White House. We're welcoming in the studio in Berkeley, Robert Strong. Yeah. Everyone just sit down. Sit down on your Peloton. <laughs> sit down on your wherever you're watching this in your car. Just sit down. No thank you. Thank you for driving all this way. You drove an hour and a half. Yeah, ninety well, minutes that to was, be here. That was all rush like hours. Four miles. Been, yeah, it <laughs> should have been like. Four, four he minutes. lives across the street. He <laughs> he just ran into people he wanted to talk to more. It's the Bay Area. <laughs> So Welcome thank to you. the Bay Area. Thanks for coming to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's good to see you. And we were just reminiscing about when you and I first met, which was probably 20 years ago in yeah, Las Vegas. Yeah, and it was like the Las Vegas comedy competition that had America's comedy. It had two names. Yes. it was. I think they were trying to do like a last comic standing, America's Got Talent of comedians before. We were all winners for being there. Yes. I, got, I have my exactly. ribbon. I wear it every day. <laughs> I mean, literally my audition to, to get to the Las Vegas part was in a basement of a hotel with two guys sitting there and we went in and said the worst jokes cause we were brand new and they're like, you in. Done. <laughs> like, okay. We, we, you're the only people that actually showed up to this. Showing up is half the battle in this world. People like it or not. There's a saying that I love to be a successful performer. You need three things, a good costume, a good show and uh, good marketing. Any two of the three will do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have all three, which is great. Uh, I'm working on it. Yeah, well, we were you, you're I, working on the costume. Yeah, we, yeah, were, right. we were talking uh, while you were in the bathroom, and I was. Oh, I was, great. Tell everybody yes. I'm human. <laughs> there goes the. And we had a long time. Storm out we now. had a long time to talk about you while you were in the bathroom. I am allergic to everything, okay? <laughs> Sorry about the wall. But I was I was telling uh, Louis that like your promo is I always like look at it and, and marvel at how great it looks, how professional it is. Thank you. And uh, it's fantastic. And your show equally as great. I come from a long line of printers. So old school, I used to make brochures and I used to like collect other people's brochures and I cared about it. Then video became a thing and I got a degree in filmmaking. So it's like, I better have a good video. Yeah. So I did that. And uh, back in the early internet days, everybody, I think, kind of looked to me and a couple dozen other people for like, what's the industry standard for for marketing? 
And what I was doing is I was just pulling from other industries mm. and bringing that into yeah. to this, this world. Wait, what? You don't just do the same thing that everyone else does in our industry? <laughs> no. What? I, no, I mean, it was, it was actually really easy because I kept a, uh, a literal physical folder, then later a digital folder of marketing that I liked in other parts of the world, you know, advertising for food or restaurants or for hotels. I, I, specific examples, when websites came out, Chipotle had a website that was sticky. And I think this is before we called websites sticky. I literally spent an hour pushing every button on the Chipotle website. And then I'm like, I need to do that. Mm. Gotcha. And I brought that in. And, you know, instead of the uh, burrito blowing up, it was, you know, when oh, they smart. find an Easter egg, it was me that blew up. Oh, that's fantastic. Ah. Yeah. And they also, when visiting your website, wanted to have a burrito. Yes. They <laughs> <laughs> were like, how can I make this burrito yeah. sticky? I will hire <laughs> you as a magician, but you have to bring, provide... Bring burritos. Yeah, bring your burritos. And so you've been a performer for over 25 years, 30 years 30, now? 37 years. I don't know if I have to do the math. I'm... Started when I was 12, I'm 49, so that's 30 a lot years, 37? Yeah, 37 years. And you started uh, on the East Coast, correct? Started in a little town called Frederick, moved to Baltimore. The first time I was ever introduced to the variety arts, I was in a summer camp. We went to the Inner Harbor, and I saw a street performer, and I went home, and I said, that's what I want to do. My parents humored me because my hobbies changed every week. Yeah. And um, I was really determined. I've stuck to it, and I really love it as much today as I did then. I still love watching other performers. I still love doing it. I still love talking about it. I mean, I could talk shop day and night. Yeah. Do you remember who that performer was that you saw? So, so I didn't know who the performer was. Fast forward, I shared the stage with him later, didn't know it was him. And then um, I'm in Orlando and I started doing the calculations. It turns out it's John Eakin. He's a magician out of Baltimore. He moved to uh, someplace, then Florida, then back to someplace else. And now I believe he's being a uh, cruise director now okay as a magician yeah but, you know, i think that's what he's doing now that's well, cool. actually that's the standard magician art yeah, yeah right <laughs> maryland florida maryland yeah. florida out to sea <laughs> so yeah uh johnny can i owe him a debt of gratitude what i loved about his show was he cared about the jokes and the audience more than the magic and that, yeah that got me hooked. absolutely so i think i read you've done over ten thousand shows oh i don't know even how to count because right the past 15 years i've been doing trade shows and sometimes they're like five-minute sets three times an hour, you know, for four days, ah. for ten hours a day. Like, how do you count it? I, maybe a fair way is by days. But um, let's see. If I'm averaging uh, 150 shows a year for 30-some years, yeah, we can do some math and see if that's even close. But, yeah, if you count those little, like, strolling shows, that's yeah, tens of thousands more. That's wild. And so what was your trajectory in your parents' mind? What did they want you to do? Um, my parents were always quite supportive. I think when they were seeing that as a kid, I was getting paid a dollar a minute. <laughs> you know, $10 or even just having a kid, show. a twelve-year-old kid that is making more than your dad. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy <laughs> because, like, I would do a ten-minute show and get ten dollars, and everybody's like, "Well, at this rate, you're going to be making a million dollars a year." I'm like, "Yeah, but I'm not working all those minutes." Yeah, um, but I, no, I, I think they were always pretty cool because um, I had passion for it. I was successful at it, and they. Were, they just wanted me to go to college, and I did go to college. There was a time where I wanted to fight them on that. I, in hindsight, I'm glad I went. I think there are life skills and stuff that I got out of it. I didn't take college that seriously, and I don't think that was unnecessary. Is that because you ha already had magic? Yeah, I had magic. I was I was going to college to reinforce and support the future magic career, but I also feel a lot more confident I have something to fall back on, but I also um, think I learned a lot that helped the business and the marketing and all that. Um, just the social and human and personal skills, I think it's good. I, I was not a serious student. I was a film major, and uh, like for documentaries, I would turn in mockumentaries. Mm -hmm. Like mm. I went for the joke. Yeah. And you still do that? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, hard, it's hard to take things super seriously. Life is too short. <laughs> no, but I also, in the, have you still make mockumentaries? Have you um, made any recently? Or? So I got away from... Uh, film production what happened was i learned a, a, a hard lesson is i would buy the really really nice cameras and they take a really good camera operator to operate them and so i ended up shooting all the promo videos for other performers but i couldn't just hand them my camera and say shoot, you know shoot mine yeah shoot yeah. mine so <laughs> i i learned the hard lesson so i got away from all the cameras and stuff and then the COVID hit and i don't know if you even really want to talk about it because it's such a distant future now i mean it's like we barely remember what COVID 19 is about <laughs> at this point when we're listening to this um no when COVID hit i actually was like i'm going on amazon and buying nice cameras and lenses and microphones and lights and everything and i'm like 
I've got 30 days to return it and all that. So I built a three-camera studio by March 12th. And by March 15th, Amazon wasn't even delivering anything if you if it wasn't, like, urgent. Uh-huh. And you couldn't actually get anything for the next three to four months because they were just sold out and nobody was shipping. And there was everybody was um, upselling them on eBay. So I was dabbling in the studio, and I really got mediocre at producing content pretty quickly. <laughs> I went from terrible to, to, to good enough. And so a lot of clients turned to me to produce content, and I would do a magic trick in front That's of the great. camera, do some fun editing, and create um, customized content, and that kept me afloat. Yeah, and th- you did. I, I followed you. You transitioned pretty pretty quickly, really quickly into yeah. the, the virtual realm, and which is just another thing that you can add to your, you know, Toolkit. I've totally mm-hmm. actually reinvented. I've thrown out the whole idea that I'm a magician who has a magic show. I basically call and say, everything is bespoke. Let's have a conversation, talk about your goals. Yeah. And I'm going to create something just for you that's never yeah. been created before. And it's really um, allowed me to do create these really custom projects where people feel they're really, really special, whether they're live, virtual, in person, or some combination, or, or pre-recorded. And... Um, yeah, the, it, it raises my value and it brings me into conversations more as a consultant yeah. mm-hmm. than as just the, the guy who shows up for a few minutes and, and rings some bells and makes people laugh. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying this for a while. It's like, I don't think the virtual thing is going to go away. No. I think it's going to be, and in some element, it's going to be around. And I actually really liked it. I me liked too. doing being able to go from my kitchen to the virtual stage <laughs> and then, you know, go right back to the kitchen. Yeah. Leave the pasta on the, on the hot plate and then come in and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved I, it. I liked it too. I still like it. I, I uh, have a gig in Sacramento this weekend, and I, I just know I've got to budge an extra two hours for traffic. Yeah, and right. And it's like you're going to go do a podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> Not bitter. Not At least bitter. you're probably getting paid for that one. <laughs> I mean, I mean, a grand for a podcast interview, I think it's totally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, we're happy to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody's getting that, right? The least, the least we can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's getting that, especially sure. Dan Holtzman, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got your start. You mentioned you went to magic school. Yeah. Um, when I was 12, I in some magic magazine, there was Tannen's Magic Camp in Long Island, New York. And I went to it at the best time. I mean, for a week, you're, you're, you're with other magicians of all ages and all, all levels. So I did it a second year. Forgot about it. I didn't even bring a camera. I have no pictures of it and all that. But the years I was there, apparently, they were just normal kids like me and they weren't standouts or anything but there was um chris angel mm-hmm. david blaine and adrian brody the actor oh wow steve cohen also is there he's got the uh his uh chamber magic and lots lots more um i just those are the the the, the probably the most famous of them okay and were you better than them magic <laughs> no tell me I, you're better than adrian brody <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't remember which ones were which i mean if oh, yeah, i think yeah, back right? i don't have any photos yeah you have that. no concept of what's going to happen 20 years, years later, later yeah, yeah right? i had no like, context so oh yeah you're that you're that kid that did that one thing pooped his pants <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i was proud because i was one of the few people that was interested in comedy magic because everybody was really interested in like the finger flicking and um one of the uh uh comedy teachers actually bought a joke or two from me wow oh wow so i was like i that was a feather in my cap my eighth yeah. grade materials <laughs> killing <laughs> <laughs> he paid. He paid in lecture notes. I mean, yes, really. Yes. <laughs> he gave you lunchables yes. as trade. <laughs> yes, I went to the rival magic school on the West Coast. Which I went one? To Dave Goodsell's West Coast Wizards. I don't even know it. Well, you're, oh, is it bad blood. On? It's bad blood. No, it's, it's even weird that you're in the same room. The two of you right now. <laughs> I think I could stab you when this is over. <laughs> okay, I'll flip the table and take a dump. <laughs> if I have to. And what brought you out to San Francisco from the East Coast? So. I was working cruise ships, and it didn't matter where I lived. They were going to fly me from wherever I was. And I was dating a woman who got a professorship at um, UCSF. And we broke up. She moved to San Francisco. And, like, it just kept ruminating in my head. How could somebody leave where they know everybody, the restaurants, families there, and go someplace completely different and start over? And... That seemed to be the scariest thing in the world. I'm like, I could never do that. That would be way too hard. I'm like, if that's the scariest thing in the world to me, I've got to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I could always go back. It's not like oh, totally. it's undoable. So I sold everything, packed up everything, moved and did it. And I uh, overcame my fear of moving. And since then, I've had some international tours. I've lived in Japan for a little while and Singapore for a little while. And I can, you can 
you will survive. You won't die <laughs> yes. if you go somewhere else in the world and start over. Was your ex girlfriend at the time surprised to see you? No, it wasn't a surprise. We were planning <laughs> hey, to get back hey. together. <laughs> it was a. Well, you moved here? That's a little weird. <laughs> it's not at all creepy. I'm living upstairs from you. Okay. <laughs> um, I read that you have 114 five star ratings on Yelp. Oh, that's a lot. That, yeah, I that's thought, more than Yelp has I on Yelp. That was really. I thought that was. I hope really, my review, my Yelp is better than Yelp's. Uh, I think so. I think they're like three stars or something <laughs> like that. That's huge. Do you encourage? I was uh, involved with Yelp when it launched. They wanted me as a magician to entertain at some events, and they were really, really uh, trying to get people to use Yelp. So the mantra was. You know, be part of the inside circle and ask everybody to review. Oh. And then uh, a, a flip switched and it was like, no, you can't ask anyone to review. So in the early days, they just needed to get people to sign on gotcha. and get content. So I was there for that. So I got a bunch of reviews then. And then um, since then, I've just learned how to ask without asking. Mm. You bring it up. Yeah. And you mention how important it is. And hey, then people. Like, can give me an example of how you bring it up? No. <laughs> yeah, okay, so... Um, How about those Yelp reviews? Aren't they crazy? <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, you know what my wife got me for my birthday? <laughs> a Yelp yeah. review. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, only four stars. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> Bitch. She, she, she took one off because she's married to me. <laughs> she knows me too well. Uh, no, what you, what you do is uh, they'll say, oh, you have a lot of uh, good reviews on Yelp, and I go, that's really important when people give honest reviews. It lets other people know if I'm a match for them. Oh, that's great. And yeah. just shut yeah. up and stop talking and people kind of get the idea. That's great. I can't even get my family to give me a Yelp review. No. Just to do me a solid. They're no. Like, I won't even leave you an Yelp that's review. <laughs> your best friends. And so, I mean, you do a little bit of everything. I mean, you do trade shows, corporate events. You do cups, some script writing. We're doing the virtual. I mean, you offer everything. You've done TED, TED Talks. Like, yes. What is your TED Talk on? So they're TEDx Talks to be specific. So they're more like the regional ones. But, okay. But they've still been pretty high profile. I've done a bunch of different topics, how to create joy and delight for other people, which I'm actually writing a book on. And then, um, see, I just dropped that in there. Yeah, so you can ask great. a question later yeah. about that. And then uh, other <laughs> Did ones Did you see are, neither of us write that in our notes, though? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Over here, focus. <laughs> Shiny object. I'm already like <laughs> thinking how I'm going to give him a Yelp review about this, <laughs> about this interview. Just, just leave your phone and go to the bathroom, and I'll have another five-star Yelp review. Um, Let's see. I was. What was I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> your book. Oh yeah. Your, your TED book. talk. Your TED talk. TED talks. Okay. So um, did I mention I'm writing a book? My <laughs> TED talks. Oh, Anatomy of a Magic Trick. Um, uh, how to create magic and stuff like that. So what I do is I'll pick a topic and you know I'll do it in like three, four, or five parts and and I'll tell a story and each part will I'll talk about it and I'll represent it. So um, like uh, the amazing Randy used to do is talk about how um, people make assumptions and then of course. Uh, the glasses don't have glass in them, they're rims, and the microphone I'm using is actually a dildo. And, you know, people just look at it in context and assume that, you know, it's a watch on my wrist yeah. and it's actually uh, tape and all those different things. And then I proceed to surprise them in other ways without revealing it because they've made assumptions. Mm. So that's one. Another one was how to create delight and joy. And this was a really fun one. I, um, I basically did it in three parts. The first thing is you research every possible thing that may that they may expect and then you create that, and then if it comes about, you present it. So I had somebody from the audience name a, uh, a technology that has changed their life, and they named Siri. And so together, we all looked on our phones who the inventor of Siri was, and there was a box on stage, and it was empty, and I made the inventor Siri appear on there. And then he talked about how he put Easter eggs in Siri, which is what kind of made it go viral and be successful, because if you asked Siri, like, do you love me, or is there a God, or is Santa Claus real, like... Those types of questions, they had answers, mm. and it made it really can I say sticky again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just want burritos though. Yeah, back to Jabal. <laughs> no I want no callbacks because I'll screw up your editing. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. Trust me. So, like, when you do you do that because you want to challenge yourself to just create more content or have a sort of thematic presentation, is that? What, what, what's the goal with doing these TED high profile? Is it, I want people to think I'm smarter of... than I am. So. <laughs> right? So, yeah, no, I, I mean, being invited alone is pretty impressive, isn't what, what it? Alone? Is it being invited is impressive, it, isn't it's it? It's pretty impressive. Um, thank you. Uh, no, what it is is I, I, magic in the wrong hands, and that's most hands, and I love most magicians and all that, but with magic, it makes people stupider. You know, people will be like, you know, if we're on the same wavelength, I can read your mind. You know, if I can, gotcha. you know, focus my energy, I can bend a spoon. And that, that's all BS. It's 100% yeah. BS. They're using tricks. And 
the, the they leave people thinking, well, maybe it's possible. Maybe if you work really hard, oh, you can have some. And so that really bothers me, and it irks me. I want people to be smarter, not less smart. Um, I the moment it kind of clicked for me, I was doing a show, and I was I had a motorcycle accident, so I kind of had to limit the physical stuff. So I was doing mentalism and. A woman, a couple people, but one woman in particular came up to me, was in tears saying, uh, can I sense or talk to her dead grandma? And then I realized I've got to be really careful because people look at this mind reading and think it's possible. Yeah. So then I started to generate content that is really, really honest. And the way to do that is explain how optical illusions, visual illusions, and cognitive illusions work and how you make assumptions and how easy the the mind is fooled because of the uh, the shortcuts it makes, and so then I, I explain that, and so when people leave, they go, oh, okay, he's doing tricks because my brain um, has evolved to allow tricks to be played on them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah, that's now, awesome. Has this kind of led into you being involved in the Bay Area skeptics? Yeah, a little bit, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, not super involved, but a member. I attend a couple events. They invite me to a couple events, but I'm. Very pro skeptics, I guess. Wait, wait, hold on. What is what is the Bay Area skeptics? I don't know what that is. Uh, it's a group that gets together, has uh, meetings, and uh, there's different ones. There's like Skept Talk and Bay Area skeptics, and a few others, and um, they basically uh, promote critical thinking. Wow. And so you're saying there's there's different uh, tiers of this, like a little bit. I'm a little bit skeptic, or well. I think people are that way. There's but but the groups are not like that. I'm skeptic you're, you're, curious. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not you're not breaking them up into you get you get fundamentals and zealots within the, the skeptics, and it's it's absurd because some people would like force it down other people's throats. I mean, like, uh, did you interview Scott Meltzer? Yeah. Yes. So um, uh, one of the things that Scott Meltzer shared with me 15 years ago, he's like, if someone is a true believer and thinks that your soul is going to burn in hell for all eternity and they don't try to save you, that makes them a bad person. <laughs> like, if they really believe that. Yeah. But there's skeptics that are like that that have to try to change everybody's mind mm-hmm. because they think that they're saving them from misinformation or whatnot. So, they're, it, yeah, it's all over the map. So, and, and, and for, for the skeptic, it's like with paranormal stuff you're skeptical about or... You're... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, with, what? With, wait, what? Let, let's just do the math. What? There's, what, uh, two billion smartphones with cameras and video and nobody once has actually recorded a paranormal thing for real. He has a picture oh, of a, a ghost. ghost. Picture. He has a ghost yeah, picture. Okay, that can't be explained. 100% of the pictures of ghosts eventually get explained. Ghost yeah. picture. It's a, it's, it's, I'll show I, it. I've, got, I've got one. So I'm... Now, hang, hang on. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 I can hold the thought. All right, hold the thought, because you're a skeptic about ghosts, yet you hold the Houdini seance. Boom, uh, you, <laughs> you segued right where I was going. It's like you're a pro or something. Get off Google. Pay attention to me. <laughs> He's um, Googling that. <laughs> so so I, uh, I'm loosely connected to the Harry Houdini. Okay. I'll tell the whole story, because where are we going to go? Well, clearly, we're stuck behind we're this deep. table. We're, <laughs> deep. We're, we're going deep. So, okay, there's two parts to the story, so I'll get both parts. So, um, I am, I don't know, 44, 45 at the time, and I'm, I, a memory pops into my head that I can't tell if it's a real memory or if I made it up. You know, it's just one of those things. And so I called my mother, and I said, hey, Mom, when I was 12 years old, we went to Springfield, Massachusetts, and I got out a couple of magic tricks at the coffee table, and I did a couple of tricks for the family, the extended family. And some lady said, do you know you're related to Harry Houdini? Was a 12-year-old who was just getting to magic, that didn't land. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the gravitas of that and the weight of it. And now I'm like 44, and I'm like, did I make this up? Is this real? So she says, I kind of remember, but I'll make a call. She makes a call, and immediately it turns out I am related to uh, Sidney Radner. Who's uh, the great Rindar. He's no longer with us. Yes. His son, Bill Radner, has continued what Sidney's done. Okay. So when Harry Houdini died, he uh, all the magic went to his brother Theo. Mm-hmm. Am I right, Theo? Yeah. And then Dash. Theo Dash. And then when Theo died, all the, the magic went to my great granduncle Sidney Radner, mm-hmm. who passed it on to Bill Radner, who's my great uncle. And so I contact him, I explain who I am, and he says, "Well, every year we're on Houdini's death, October thirty first, we do a séance and we try to contact." Houdini, would you like to produce that in San Francisco? So I find there's a theater in San Francisco that's got a picture of Houdini. The claim was that it was his last performance before he died, but I think it was actually a movie before he died that they Mm. showed there, the Brava Theater. 
And um, I decided that uh, I was going to try dabble in Kickstarter because I wanted to produce something that would cost about $20,000 to produce. Connecting with the dead is expensive. Yes, yes. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> Emotionally, it's physically. Tough. It's tough. When oh you get your God. bill from AT&T. <laughs> well, 18 to 20 grand every time. Definitely long distance. <laughs> um, so, so I was like, I'm going to do a Kickstarter and see if I can get it funded that way. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen type of thing. Kickstarter was new. I also wanted to learn the process and see if I could pull it off and, and, and get under the hood and understand the, how it works. So uh, we raised our $12,000 minimum. So I had to produce it. So I figured that Houdini has five pillars. And I was going to have a section for each of the five pillars. One, he was a magician. So I brought in um, a magician. Then uh, he was like um, a master of PR. Mm -hmm. So I brought in uh, just a woman who was just a sensation in in, um, social media, the modern version of of PR, uh, all that. Um, He was a skeptic. I mean, a serious skeptic. So I brought in two. I brought in... um, uh, Jamie and Swiss and Michael, do you have it in, in your research? The author, it's it, the videos lives online and all that. I brought in a neuroscientist too, thinking that like a little more of a modern turn on the skepticism and, and all that. I brought in a a real um, a real with air quotes a medium who thinks she might be able to contact uh, Houdini, and then I brought in uh, Paul Draper who did a seance that was like of the time period using technology of that time period, but seance what it would look like back uh, in the 20s. I guess he died in 1929, I think. Um, and then I'm probably leaving. Oh, then I brought in an escape artist, Brian Brushwood. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when there was flooding in um, Austin and Houston and all that. And the joke, he didn't make it. The flights were all canceled, but the joke was, this escape artist can't escape Texas to, <laughs> to get to the show. The show was really great. It's the most amazing escape. <laughs> yeah, if he got there, if he could only. Um, so the show was a great success, and um, I think it only lost a couple hundred dollars. So that's oh, wow. a success when you're producing a, yeah, a big event. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I thought it truly honored uh, Houdini. Now, it turned out, I didn't know until much later, that my uncle thought it disrespected Houdini because they authentically tried to contact him. And I, I respectfully disagree because Houdini for the last years of his life was debunking passionately skeptics because he felt that they were absolutely dangerous and disgusting and, and, and immoral and unethical and, and all that. So, but we did bring in a, a, a medium to try to contact Houdini. Wait, and did it work? Uh, she said she didn't reach him that night. Oh, what? Yeah. Because, yeah. well, he's probably on the East Coast. It was, he was the East yeah. Coast time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's the, busy. The psychic said to be here at midnight, <laughs> <laughs> but it was really only 9 p.m. for you. <laughs> yeah, you got the time zones wrong. Which, <laughs> uh, and so then, so so uh, moving to the other part of the story, I was um, promoting the Houdini Seance, so I was going to the different like review shows and just doing a little set and telling people you can buy tickets to the, the official Houdini Seance. And so I'm in the um, beautiful Throckmorton Theater in Marin, and I'm sharing stage with with Robin Williams and a bunch of other people. Uh, that's the biggest name I can think of to drop. Um, and uh, I'm talking about the seance, and I uh, tell the person on the backstage that when the volunteer is holding the chalkboards, what I need you to do is take this piece of chalk and just draw on the wall back there to make the sound of moving, moving chalk. So... Um, Houdini has one message to communicate to all of us from the afterworld and the first part that gets written on the chalkboard is angel mm-hmm. and I go are you trying to tell us that there is an afterlife is that what you're trying to tell us and then you hear the scratching like is a yes and then there's another part and it's like Christ gets written across the chalkboard but it gets cut off and I'm like oh you're saying you were born a Jew you died a skeptic but you're saying that Christianity is is the one and only one and then you hear the scratching is an answer yes and all that then one more word appears sucks oh so from the <laughs> so from the afterworld you want to tell us one thing is that Chris Angel sucks thank you so so I have a friend who set up a camera and videotaped that and I am a complete skeptic and I love coincidences and all that but the entire video was pristine and perfect and the moment when I'm like, uh, Houdini, if you are and if you can speak to us, do that now. The camera just went fuzzy, 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 and then came back on. It was perfect at the time. And of course, someone, you know, it's a coincidence. You know, it, it is. But it's cool. It's a cool coincidence. The timing is Question, great. Have you slowed it down? And like, look. I posted it on Facebook. We can find it. It's on my, it's on my feed. I'll enhance the, enhance, the enhance. blur. Yeah. Yeah. This is not CSI. Enhance, enhance. Oh, I, I've got a button for enhance over here. Whatever I, that is. Can I put my afterlife Snapchat filter on that? <laughs> so wait. So 
are you still cool with your is it your uncle that uh, is? I don't think he really wants to keep in touch. Oh man. But he didn't really keep in touch before. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I mean I I was in denial that he even existed for the first forty years of my magic career. <laughs> well, at least you tried though. I mean no, you, I th- Yeah, I, I thought that was that's a li- what the way that you described it, it sounds like, you know, it's well, a- he was disappointed, but when I think about it, I'm like if I'm honoring Harry Houdini, I am truly honoring what is fact about him, not this sliver of it that, you know, when he died, um, uh, mediums were trying to contact him and, and his wife, uh, Bessie, was like, no, those, those are not the secret codes. And basically she concluded that you can't contact in the past. So, like, you know, the answer is no, you can't. I'm a skeptic. <laughs> I want to go to the skeptic meetings. I think it'd be, They're pretty it'd fun. be amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I should, you just got to go and take my ghost picture and my chupacabra. And then <laughs> chupacabra. <laughs> my chupacabra. My chupacabra foot. Yeah. It's just a foot. <laughs> and so you're, you're also on the board of directors for something called Wonder Wonderfest. Fest. Yes. What is that? Uh, so this is something I'm, I hold near and dear to my heart. So um, it's the communication of science information to the masses. So they have live free events where they bring in all levels of scientists it's about uh, science communications. They uh, audio, video, record everything. They put it out there on YouTube and share it as podcasts for, for free. And the whole idea is that information should be available, but um, using the scientific principles, not, you know, you know. That's great. It, it changes. As, yeah. as science gets better, they update and you're, it. And you're actively still on the board of directors I'm for actively that? still on the board. Um, you can consume their content on YouTube. Um, you can go to their website and see free talks right now they're virtual talks so you don't even have to be in the bay area yeah. you can attend it from anywhere and you can uh, be a donor on patreon give a dollar a month um what's nice is even if you can't give a lot and you just give a dollar a month it um uh, brings it to the top of the feed because they've got lots of uh uh, uh donors and supporters uh, yeah. oh, that's nice. so it helps it in a, a a bubbling to the top way if yeah. you even donate a small amount wonderfest only 77 five-star Yelp reviews. Only 77. No, 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 I just made that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I, I do love about what you do is like you really, you know, you do everything like and you create stuff at, like, you know, the, you're talking about this Harry Houdini seance show. I believe you did like uh, like not what was the name of it? You're doing talks with, you know, oh my so God, old performers. Yeah. So yeah. Can I talk about comedy talks? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So in my career, that is the best thing that I've ever been involved in besides Moisture Fest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Besides. <laughs> it's number two. <laughs> Moisture Fest number one. I was, uh, a, a, uh, performing at a uh, Hermosa comedy magic club. Have you been there? I've been there. I've never performed there though. It's such a magic it's great. friendly it's amazing. audience. Yeah. Um, and then the other cool thing is, is you're backstage and all the people who've been there have signed the walls and all that. And it's a place that a lot of people just come and try material and hang out. So, you know, uh, I'm backstage and I'm just in awe of all the big names that are sitting at the table and all that. And they're like, it's time for you to go on to do my, my 10 minutes. And I remember thinking, I want to stay here and hear them tell stories. <laughs> this is the best. I've done this, the, that part before. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah, I, yeah, I can do that. So I'm on that's stage. That's the work. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what they're paying me for. I'm on stage. I'm having kind of an out-of-body experience. I'm not literally inside my body uh, performing towards the audience. I'm thinking this audience would rather be a fly on the wall hearing the conversation in the back room. Yeah. And I'm like, if 1% of the world thinks like me, maybe there's something there. So... I thought about what would make it work. It would be a young person looking into a window of an older generation. They're sharing stories. It's a, on a stage. You get people together that's worked together that are diff, you know, different um, areas like Broadway and film and television or writing and stand-up and you know, uh, um, uh, movie acting that's comedic and all that. And, um, or directing and all that. So I'm imagining this and I'm imagining it's got to be in a big, beautiful old theater and it's got to have a live audience. It's got to be a three to five camera shoot. And like I'm playing it over and over again in my head and it just keeps getting better and better. And so I say to one of my friends who's also on the Wonderfest, Wonderfest board, I tell her that, you know, I've got this idea and I got it from performing at the Hermosa Comedy Magic Club. She goes, let's do it. Oh. So we made a list of all the jobs, all the hats we have to wear to pull it off. And every job that I'm allergic to, she wanted to do. Mm, and every job she was allergic to... I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. She had no interest in calling 
comedy legends on the phone and asking if they wanted to do it. And I loved it. Yeah, you're like, ah. She has no interest in being on stage like, and asking I will questions. Cold call <laughs> I will red box all day. <laughs> you oh I got to, I called a lot of performers and they all answer. It's crazy. By the way, they all have AOL addresses still. That's <laughs> true. Um, so uh, and then I, I don't want to do the press releases and the, the graphic design and the email list and the all that stuff. And she's like, I want to do that. That's fun for me. So we were perfectly aligned in partnership, and we, we were still great friends. Um, we did we decided we wanted to shoot three back-to-back to keep costs down and kind of like improve the process and all that. We were going to do it in one day, then we thought that was a little too much. So we did the three Sundays back-to-back, and the first show had Paul Mazursky, the director, George Siegel, who just recently passed the actor, and had, oh my God, I'm blanking on the comedian's name. I'll come back to it. The second show had Steve Rossi from Marty Allen and Steve Rossi and had uh, Carol Channing from Broadway and Rich Little, the impersonator. The third show had Will Durst, the political satirist, had Shelley Berman, the comedian and and, uh, actor of TV and film, and Robert Morrison, How to Succeed from Business, plus he was on Mad Men. And the chemistry was just so electric. I'm on the stage. The first show, I'm white-knuckling it because I'm so out of my And um, the camera work was great. The audience was great. I mean, lighting, the sound, and the performers just had stories to tell, and they loved telling them their funny stories, and they they, they really punched it up. And, like, every show just had these standing ovations that happened in the middle of the show. It was electric. And um, my idea was this is going to be, like, a peek behind the scenes and be a TV show, be on uh, public broadcast television. So right when I launched it, Paul Bravenza launched his uh, In the Green Room or something like that with comedians, and then a couple other kind of came up. And I, I felt they were good, but they weren't quite hitting that electricity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, I pitched it to a bunch of TV stations, and it was 2010. Their money was just evaporating. And uh, the one I got the furthest with was uh, HBO was really starting to talk numbers and, and producing and all that. And then they disappeared, and then like a year later, they did a version of the show without a live audience. Uh, it was one-on-one comedian. And I'm like... It's good, but you missed the mark. It's that yeah. live audience. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing was it was a comedian with another comedian, so they're both trying to be funny. You kind of need this like outsider looking in yeah. who sets them up but doesn't try to be funny. Absolutely. And uh, there's clips online. Go to ComedyTalks.com. You go to YouTube. It's great. Comedy I've, Talks. I've watched it. It's so, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I wish, I wish I could just do that for the rest of my life. Well, you can. You can. <laughs> I, it's I possible. Only, I only lost my life savings three times over. <laughs> yeah, but you got to cold call Rich Little. And <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> So one of the highlights of that was where they're like, can we do a sound check? Can we get a level on Rich Little's microphone? And he started doing Johnny Carson talking about what a great magician Robert Strong is. <laughs> and so I'm getting my little flip phone or Blackberry and I'm trying to record this and I didn't get it fast enough. But that, I mean, just to, Some just to have that. Some things are meant to live in memory. It's in my memory. Right. Yeah. It was so, it was so great. It was chills. Like I had hair out of the back of my neck. And did you ever cold call Gary Shandling? So Gary Shandling, no. <laughs> when I worked at uh, Hermosa Comedy Magic Club, I got to... Uh, hang out backstage with Gary Shandling and he's a quirky character. Yeah. 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 In real life. Have you met him? And I've never met him. No, but <laughs> he's exactly like he is on the TV yeah. shows and what you expect neurotic and all that. So I'm backstage and I say, hello, Mr. Shandling, would you, uh, uh, like anything to eat or drink? We're, we're doing the orders now. He goes, um, I'm actually, uh, writing some new material. So, um, no, thank you. Okay, so you're sitting there in silence with Gary Shandling for, for 30 minutes, and then it's getting ready for showtime, and I'm like, hey, Mr. Shandling, would you like me to page the curtain when I introduce you? He goes, page the curtain? What does that mean? I'm like, well, like, like on The Tonight Show, you, you, <laughs> you open, open the open. curtain from the side, and he goes, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm writing some new material. I've really got to concentrate. I'm like, okay. So I sat in silence until I introduced him, and after the show, I sat in silence for a little bit, and then he left. So it was just the two of us sitting in silence for better part of 90 minutes. And um, 45 minutes later, he comes back in. He goes, um, I just want to let you know, uh, um, I went all the way home. And then I turned around, I came all the way back. And I just want to thank you for being so nice to me. Oh. And then he turned around and left. <laughs> <laughs> and I really did want you to page the curtain. I just didn't know how to ask. <laughs> and I'm thirsty, damn it. But tomorrow, fucking pace. pace bring me water. Bring me water. <laughs> it was so strange and uh, surreal and out of body experience. But yeah, it was, that was my my nothing with Gary Shandling. He thanked me for being really thoughtful and nice to him. Now, in your 40 years or almost 35 years of doing this, um, what are the things that, you know, the comedy talk you said is one of the highlights? Are there mm-hmm. other things that you look back on and you're like, how did this 12-year-old kid from Maryland make this happen? Like, Yeah, so I mean, so many. I guess 
I, I was thinking recently about uh, sharing the stage with Robin Williams. I lived in San Francisco for years, and everybody runs into Robin yeah. Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would was keeping my eyes open, and I was not running into him. Um, side note, my, my friend Ruth Ann Spike, uh, who's the funniest person I know, she's uh, in Mill Valley where he lives, and she's eight and a half months pregnant, and she ordered uh, some tea at a, a coffee shop in a scone. And um, they call her to say her, her tea's ready, and she starts to shuffle eight and a half months pregnant out of the bench. Robin Williams kind of looks over, sees what's happening, jumps up, grabs the tea, and brings it to her and says, you're tea, madame. And she looks him right in the eye and goes, oh, fuck, is Steve Martin going to bring me my scone? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so I, I suddenly, like, towards the end of Robin Williams' life, uh, I started to share the stage with him and run into him a bunch of times. I've got three really great stories that I, I think are worth sharing about him. The first one is I did my time, and then I went to um, uh, the alleyway outside the Throckmorton Theater, and Rob Williams is holding court, and he's telling joke jokes, like like how many light bulbs, yeah, and yeah, yeah. all that Street type jokes. of stuff. And um, the people are laughing, and he looks at me, so I tell a joke joke, and then he tells one, I tell one. This goes on for 15 minutes. In my head, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm making him laugh. He's laughing. Like, I'm sure he's heard the jokes before, but he's acting like he's never heard them before. And then they said, it's your time, and Robin goes to do it. I'm like, I can't believe that just happened. So I went backstage. I'm peeking through the, the little curtain. And I had done like 15 minutes. He did 30 minutes ragging on the magician, me. <laughs> In a good way. Like, he, I, you know, I made a $100 bill. I wrote on it. And it, it disappeared and got shredded. And then it ended up inside of a TARDIS, inside of a Twinkie, and all that type of stuff. So he kept doing the same routine that I did over and over again. But from the Twinkie's point of view. Then from the $100 bill's point of view. Then from the marker's point of view. And, and I am like... This is so good. I'm, I pull out my little flip phone to, to snap a shot and record a little, and they look at me like, you know you got to delete that. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish I didn't delete it because that was just so surreal to have Robin Williams like riff on your act. Well, and it's long. nice that he watched your act. And right? paid attention yeah, and right? cared. So that's the one story. That was really cool. And then um, the second one was I got to share the stage with him as an improviser. There was uh-huh. a troop of us, like five or six of us. And so um, pre-show, we're all backstage. I'm like, would anybody like to do a warm-up? And they all were like, no, we're professionals. We don't need to warm up. And then Rob Williams turns over and goes, well, what did you have in mind? And so I was thinking we could do something like we could just riff on what's topical and what's going on in the news. So that way, if someone gives a suggestion, we can connect it to something that's uh, top of mind and maybe you'll get a laugh. He goes, hey, everybody, I want to do this. I want to do his idea and all that. So we did it. And then throughout the show, we'd throw in this little topical reference. And he'd look at me like, like nice. nice. And I'm like, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. 10 minutes before the 100-minute show was over, Robin Williams took the show off the charts. He started to do riffing and characters and all stuff, and the audience was just in tears. I'm driving home going, oh, my God, he's at another level. If he was Robin Williams for the whole 100 minutes, we would have looked like idiots. Yeah. And we can't, we can't, we're not at his level. Yeah. So he played at our level for 90 minutes to make us all feel included and all that. But he also knew the audience was there for Robin Williams. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And then he gave them exactly the right amount of what they did. And everybody looked good. We didn't look amateur compared to him. He had the wherewithal to play it out and, and execute in a way that was taking care of the performers, taking care of the audience, That's and him having fun. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It would have been even more amazing if he did the Twinkie material. <laughs> 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 a joke just for you. <laughs> wow. uh, yeah. And then there's another. Do you have a third one? Or I that... actually com- combined them two because one was yeah. the uh, backstage uh, before the show saying, do you guys want to um, do a warm up? Yeah. And the fact that he took care of me. Yeah. Like, I was obviously the, the weakest and newest one there. And uh, he, he had the empathy and the compassion to make me feel good about bringing that up as opposed to being special. shot down and all that. Yeah. Pretty special. And um, yeah, I, uh, like a lot of us, I took it really hard when he, when he took his life. So. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy that, you know, this whole time you're, you're looking for him while you're here. You're like, I got I got to see him. This is someone I look up to. And then here, here you are sharing the stage with him and yeah. well, him it's, giving it's like you the, space. Like and, the last year of his life, I got to interact with him maybe like 15, 17 times yeah. in a short span of time. And I don't think I was the causation of his death. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just coincidence. It's been ruled out. It's, it's been, been ruled out. out. Probably, likely. <laughs> you had a lot of coincidences <laughs> in your life. <laughs> Houdini tape blurring out at the right time. <laughs> the, uh, the, to the, be a skeptic. <laughs> the, 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 the comedy talks thing I did, one of the guys was Steve Rossi, and he was the one I knew the least about. 
Mm-hmm. He was kind of like the um, uh, Jerry Lewis and um, uh, who did Lewis? Dean Martin. Martin. Dean, Dean Martin, Martin. Thank yeah. you. And he was kind of like the Dean Martin of of the of the Marty Allen and, and Steve Rossi. And I just got to spend a day with him before the event and a day with him after the event. And it was really weird because we're talking like it comes up about the like um, the Cuba missile crisis. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, I was hanging out with so, you know when that happened. And then we're talking about like uh, uh, Reagan and the falling of the. Uh, uh, Berlin the Berlin Wall, Wall yeah. and he was like, "Oh yeah, when I was hanging out with Reagan, when that happened, like every story in history came up." And there's a character, a book a character that is like all throughout history. They're at every major thing, and I think a more modern version of it is like Forrest Gump. Yeah, like he's at every yeah. like big event right. and all that. Steve Rossi was legitimately at every really big it's like thing. Like the moon landing, I like, was, was there. On the moon. <laughs> I was there. He was the greeter yeah. <laughs> way before they had greeters. Who do you think had the Marshall <laughs> landing him? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's fantastic. Like this person who's done everything, you've done the Moisture Festival. How did you end up in it? How did I end up at the Moisture Festival? Um, well, of course, I heard about it. And I think it's one of the greatest things ever. It's like, it's like the closest you can get to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival on our mainland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, uh, I know exactly what happened. Michael Davis booked it. You've heard of him? Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. A newbie juggler. Yeah, Here. brand new. <laughs> brand new. He's got potential. He's, I think he's, he's got something. <laughs> um, I think every modern comedy magician is derivative of Michael Davis. He kind of changed uh, the way uh, juggling and comedy worked. He went up, and I went up with him as a visitor, and I got to hang out backstage and had the best time. And then uh, the following year, a couple years later, I, I messaged him first. And Tim and I know each other because he was involved with me when I was producing Motion Fest with Michael Rossman. And that started in Baltimore. And when I moved to uh, San Francisco, I, I produced one in San Francisco and helped co-produce a couple in Reno. And Tim first was always really involved. So we have a rapport and relationship from that. So what's Motion Fest? Motion Fest was uh, done in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. And the idea was there are conferences for magicians to learn magic and jugglers to learn juggling and, and, and dancers learn dance and all that. The idea is we, we're not going to teach any of the variety skills and we're going to come and help you with all the peripheral things that you should know. You should know writing, character, costume, lighting, sound, how to work with tax, uh, taxes, marketing. That's actually, I used to teach the marketing workshop there. So I had to really organize my thoughts uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so it's so important to me about marketing. But we just kind of taught all those different things at Motion Fest, and um, it was really really fantastic because I've made such great lifelong relationships from those uh, those events. Now, how come that doesn't still exist? It seems like an important resource that could, or just, there maybe there's just not enough American variety. Oh, there's or? plenty. Um, the reason it doesn't exist, it's it's six months of your life to produce a festival that loses a little bit of money. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's it's um, it would probably be easier to produce now because we were doing it with good old-fashioned uh, phone trees. Like yeah. this was before emails, before people had emails. Or social media and stuff yeah. like that you can utilize. So it would be a lot easier. Um, why don't we still do it? I, Michael uh, Rossman still does uh, sometimes, like a, sometimes a day-long workshop. And then we did, when the uh, pandemic hit, we did have some virtual get-together and kind of like emotional support sessions. And that kind of tapered off as people kind of got lives. So what's, going, what's, what's next for you? You know, like, what are you excited? What's the next step for you? So I'm pretty clearly focused right now. I am uh, writing a book. And the premise is magicians know how to spark delight and joy. How can you learn from that to spark delight and joy in the world, specifically for coworkers and customers. So I'm on these uh, Zoom calls telling people that I'm halfway through this book and they're telling me back, oh, this is a great book idea and they're getting it wrong. <laughs> and after about a dozen people of them, doesn't, <laughs> and they're getting it wrong. And after a bunch of people uh, tell me what the book is supposed to be, I'm shifting my oh. book to deliver what they want. So I'm, I've already written five chapters. I've got a co-writer. I'm, I'm adapting them. And what people think the book's about, what it's now going to be about, if that's not complicated <laughs> enough to follow, is uh, they go, oh, this is really great. It's really hard to maintain culture right now. So we need a book on culture for in-person, virtual, and a hybrid. Thank you for writing this book. And so now I'm looking at what I'm writing and kind of adapting it to kind of deliver that because I think a lot of workplaces have onboarded people um, virtually, and they don't know how to manage the culture. There's no handbook for that yet. Yeah. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna write it. That's great. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. How do we get a copy way better. When it comes out? Sounds way better than the other book. Yeah, <laughs> sparking delight and joy. Who needs that? So that's where your focus is right now. And, yeah, and hopefully you'll go on a book tour, do some reading. Not, not a book tour so much. It's it's um, specifically to move. I'm I'm at a lot of events that have the education and information budget and the entertainment budget, and I'm always in the entertainment budget and I am just trying to move into the other category and the reason is is I've gotten really good over the years at trade shows of communicating content so that people grok it remember it and and learn from it um it's just been product about it's just been information about other people's products it's not been learning about the world and how to spark delight and joy um the people who do the education information ones are just death by powerpoint they turn on a powerpoint and they read their own slides Mm -hmm. and I'm like I can make those slides come to life and be entertaining. Totally. Yeah. And so I want to let people know that you could learn and it could be fun and it doesn't have to be one or the other. And for this book, the, the small, small price of nine ninety nine, there's 10 <laughs> tips that will... You're right there. It's yeah. 10 chapters. Uh, they learn 10... That's a dollar tricks. a chapter. <laughs> yeah. <That's great. laughs> Boom. That's great. A bargain. <laughs> for less than a cup of coffee a chapter. <laughs> And if people want to find out, I mean, you have a ton of videos on YouTube and on your site, which is strongentertainment.com, and they can find out all about you and see what you're up to and all the different things that you offer. And uh, you can see the comedy, comedy talks. You comedy can find talks. that. And I'm a hoarder on LinkedIn, so add me on LinkedIn. Yeah, Robert and then uh, Performer Stories, is that something that you're doing? I've, I've done that. I've done a bunch of other uh, podcasts that are way worse than this. Because this is the <laughs> well, best one. Well, I don't know. It would be pretty hard to get worse than, <laughs> worse than this. Worse than Room 318 yeah. of the Holiday Inn I mean, Express. <laughs> we have the view of a, of a, of a better hotel out our window. <laughs> My name's on the ceiling, yeah, I just discovered. That, that, <laughs> that was already me. here when we came here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sweet dream, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is fun. Yeah, man. We really appreciate you making the drive. It's good to see you. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah. We look forward to seeing you at the Moisture Fest. Yes. Yes. Yes, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I'm there. I, it's, it's a priority for me. It's, it's where I have fun. Thank you for being here. Oh, no. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening to the Moisture Festival podcast. If you haven't bought tickets yet for the festival, you can do that at moisturefestival.org. You can also find out information about volunteering or supporting it financially as well. Just click on the contribute button. You can also find Moisture Festival. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to check out more details on any of those social network sites. If you want to find out more information on Louie and I, we do a podcast together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts at if you would like to find out information on louis and i's shows you can do so by visiting louis site which is louis fox with two x's Dot com. And Matt Baker's site, ComedyStuntShow.com, spelt the way you would expect it to be spelled. Yes. And we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.